Welcome back to the Forward Podcast. I'm your host, Lance Armstrong. Exciting guest this week, good buddy of mine, Ryan Holiday. Amazing author, thinker. For a guy who hasn't lived that long, he's sure done a lot. Dude is 30 years old. Was the uh, CMO at American Apparel during an awfully tumultuous time. And then left uh, to go on and... Uh, write his own books, most of which, if not all of which, have be, uh, become bestsellers. Trust me, I'm lying. The Obstacle's the Way, Ego is the Enemy, The Daily Stoic, and his new book, Perennial Seller. Um, not to mention ghostwriting for the likes of Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Dan Bilzerian, another homie of mine. Uh, I enjoyed the conversation. I think you will as well. Before we get to Ryan, a couple things. Uh, to anybody that's tuned in for the last three weeks to the Stages podcast, my daily podcast with J.B. Hager, uh, talking about anything and everything Tour de France related from that day, thank you so much. Totally blew us away. More than 5 million downloads. I, I don't know. I didn't think that was going to happen. But uh, both JB and I are looking, looking forward to a 49-week vacation. This thing kicked my ass. I mean, I thought it was hard doing the race. It was hard talking about it for three weeks. Uh, hey, another great year as well for a great young organization uh, that Anna volunteered with and, and was set on the board of for a long time called Wapi Yapi. We had a great turnout this week and uh thank you to anybody that came out and supported such a great cause thursday morning getting up bright and early hello ragbri flying from aspen to iowa with jimmy johnson the 48 car and a whole crew of guys gonna go out and ride a couple days of ragbri really looking forward to that i always love uh getting back to iowa seeing my buddy tj and uh rubbing elbows with thirty thousand other people every day across the cornfields of Iowa. Last thing, you know, uh, just talking about stages and the tour, the tour is over. You know, people get a bit of a, uh, a letdown when the tour is over and they sort of say, oh, what now? What next? What are we going to watch? For you American fans, FYI, there's a great event coming to Colorado called Velorama. Velorama is really the, the umbrella name. The bike race is called the Colorado Classic, but Bellarama is more than that. It's got four-day stage race. It's got live music on a killer stage right downtown, what they call Rhino, North Denver. They got Wilco. They got Death Cab for Cutie. They got Same Hotel. They got the old 97s. Check it out, VeloramaColorado.com, B-E-L-O-R-A-M-A, Colorado.com. Hey, thanks for tuning in, and uh, hope you enjoy Ryan Holiday. Ryan Holiday, man. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. You got a new book out. I do. You just brought it in here. I know. It's my one and only copy right now. It, well, you gave me the advanced copy. Yes, I have a few of those. Yeah. Huh. Perennial seller, the art of making and marketing work that lasts. The art of making and marketing work that lasts? Yeah. What's that all about? 
So perennial sellers, like it's interesting. If you look at the New York Times list uh, each week, you think it's like all the best selling books in the country, right? But if you actually look at the fine print, it says what is not tracked on the New York Times bestseller list is so-called perennial sellers. That means what they do is they filter out the books that sell week in and week out um, because uh, the best-selling book in the country every week would be like the Bible and then Harry Potter. And then all these other, all the, all the other, the Great Gatsby would be on the list every week and so would HarperCollins. Like I advised this, uh, this startup, uh, I'm an investor in it called Vinyl Me. And so they send one vinyl record, uh, like a hand-picked vinyl record every month. And uh, so every month, the record they choose is the best-selling vinyl record in the country because they have all these so thousands people, of subscribers. Right, right. But of course, it's not reflected in the billboard charts either. Right. So the entire uh, movie business, music business, and book publishing business is really driven by the books that aren't, or the, the titles that aren't uh, on the list each week. It's the right. things that sell um, week in and week out. So it's about, and ideally... Right. If you're an author, you want to write what to expect when you're expecting. If you're a band, you want to have written "We Are the Champions." Right. You want the you want to own the property that is used for things over and over and the pub, over. Again. The publishing. Exactly. That's yeah. the that's that's what the book's about. How, how to make those things? How to think about those things? Because no, everyone thinks they want to make those things, but they don't actually. Right do what you need to do to make those things. and these staples like the bible yep. and like harry potter these are the things that i guess allow the publishing business to to keep paying advances and totally. i mean the stat that i think i heard once was that only 10 percent of all books earn back the payment or earn back the advance yeah yeah like the, so 90 percent of these books lose money right yeah so it's like if you think about your job as in publishing you think that you are what's driving the industry forward, but in fact, you're almost totally irrelevant, mm. and it's that you're accidentally creating perennial sellers right. that are pe- it, the the reason that there's a that m- the publishers have an office building in downtown Manhattan yeah. is because To Kill a Mockingbird is assigned in schools, and somebody bought that book sixty years ago, yeah. and that's what's paying the rent and paying for the celebrity memoirs and paying for the new diet books and all the things that end up, if not losing money, um, only making money for a short amount of time. Hmm. Has Barack Obama signed a book deal yet? Yes, for like uh, what, $30 million. Come on. Yeah. So for it, the two of them or for just him? He, he and Michelle Obama signed a multi-book deal. I think like she's doing a book, he's doing a book, and there might be a few others in there. But again, almost certainly the amount of copies that they would have to sell to make it so it's it's purely a vanity deal or amy schumer is a good example she sold a book for like seven hundred fifty thousand dollars and then she became super famous in between the time she was supposed to write it so she gave the money back and then sold it again for like seven million dollars um and and it was actually funny the publisher who lost the book the the guy he gave a statement he was like um we we're really excited that this book cost our competitor x millions of dollars yeah. because he it's it's a a huge portion of the business is just people in publishing trying to beat the other people in publishing to see who's more impressive right. it's not actually about what's going to make right. make money is this this is going to be a bestseller right all your books are bestsellers they do okay how many how, what number is this how many books have you this done this is 6 number 6 they've all been bestsellers uh yeah yeah, yeah, I would think so. First one was "Trust Me, I'm Lying." Yeah, what a title! That, that hit the list. That 
And then you had things like Obstacles the Way, Ego is the Enemy. Mm-hmm. All, those all hit, yeah. The Stoicism book. Daily Stoic. That the spent Daily 10 weeks on the, on the list. But, so, but I'm actually, as an author, I'm actually not interested in hitting those lists. Mm. Like, you don't get a prize yeah. when you hit the list, right? Like, uh, nobody even gives you, like, a plaque with the fact that they, you were on it. Yeah, what, but it's kind of cool when you see your name on there. It's certainly cool, and, like, uh, it's beneficial for, like, speaking engagements, and right. uh, you can... You know, it makes you cool to your friends or whatever. But what you really want is you want the books to be selling. Like, it's interesting, you know, uh, it's only, uh, the list is a snapshot of one week. So it's like, would you like to front load all your sales in one week? Or would you like them to continue to sell every week? Yeah. So to me, the test of a book is not how it does not in the first week, but how is it on week number 87 or 98? Mm. You know, I want it. You want I that want, annuity. Yeah, I want it. Right. Yeah, I want it to be like real estate, and and I want the the book to, to me, that's also evidence that there's something timeless or important in the mm-hmm. book that it's not just capitalizing on, you know, like you could have made a lot of money making an adult coloring book a year ago, but who those are now and I could have anyone. Oh. I mean, I'm just saying it's like whatever the trend is, you can you can jump you can jump on that, but. Right. Is that meaningful? Like, are you going to be proud in a few years that that's what you did? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I was just sitting here thinking maybe I should do an adult coloring book. See, that would be exactly what you shouldn't do now because they're, that, that trend is dead. Yeah, it's not cool anymore. No. But it, so it was a massive fad. So all these people were rushing into doing adult coloring books. And then it's nothing. Mm. And there's no legacy. There's no back end on those products. They're not going to, there's no tail on them. They're right. not going to keep going. They're not the next Bible. Right. Yes. And I'm not sure one could sit down to write the Bible, but if you wrote a book about, you know, turning 50 or you wrote a book about how to graduate from college or you wrote a book about what to do when your life falls apart, these are niches that matter that mm. people solve problems for people. I think all the best music does the same thing. Yep. We we've talked about writing a book. You and I and let's just let's just put this out there. You and I have talked about writing this book about what you do when your life falls apart. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's 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 kind of what happened. Yeah, and you know, this we I speak about it a lot on this podcast. But what that's like to realize your life has fallen apart or is falling apart, and trying to slow that free fall as quickly as you can or as gently as you can, and then reassessing and moving forward. So, what I like to do with books is I like to start with a problem. Like, I like the book to be a, I think a lot of art and business and everything starts as as a solution looking for a problem. Mm -hmm. I think it's better to start with a problem and then come up with a solution for it. And so what I think what we're talking about is is a common thing. For most people, it doesn't happen nearly the, perhaps it's never even happened at the level that it happened at Mm -hmm. for you. And for each person, it's going to have happened for totally different reasons. Right. I mean, but, you could be lose your job. You right. could uh, uh, flunk out of school. You could, uh, uh, you know, get a divorce. You could. I got a letter from a guy in jail today. I was, I was it came to my house. Isn't and I was, that weird? It, it is very those. weird. That's you talk about, and they have like the, you know, yeah, and it's like many. It it, it included a list of the seven hundred books that he's read while he's in jail, and you know all the <laughs> all the classes that he's taken. But it he he went to jail for some drug related offense. He's been there for seven years, and he's it's. Totally his, it wasn't like he was framed. It's totally his fault that he was there, right? But it doesn't change the fact that ideally he doesn't 
want this to happen again and he mm-hmm. wants to move forward in some way and so right that that's so again that's a pr- i think i think creatively you want to start with problems and apply yourself towards solutions rather than i think what a lot of people do is they they think about what this does for them right and then it ends up having an audience does it well. matter if it's if it's self-inflicted because when i look at my story and i i fully admit this a lot but you know my life falling apart or, or falling to pieces was self-inflicted. Whereas if, uh, you know, his being in prison for seven years because of selling drugs or whatever was self-inflicted. Sure. If your girlfriend breaks up with you because she falls in love with another man, that's not really self-inflicted. I wonder if it changes the process. And if you, or if you could still, can you still speak to the same, you know, you know, situation where somebody's life has fallen apart? I mean, to I would argue that most of the time when so, when people's lives fall apart, it's self-inflicted. Mm. Um, in my experience, it happens. He to didn't me. take her on enough dates. What, was it, what did we mean? I mean, she fell in love with another guy. That what I what I mean is that if if your life is so centered around a singular person that this person leaving you is devastating to your entire life, mm. that is something that you have control over. So I guess if you're if you're at rock bottom. Because of a singular event, that's a that's a that's a in part of your own doing. But I, I don't I don't see what the difference the the root cause of the problem makes. Right. I think you're you're sitting there going, "How am I? What am I supposed to do? What yeah. is my what's my life yeah. now?" And how frustrated are you with me about just not responding and not not? I'm not frustrated at all. Oh, I'm okay. curious. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious. It's, it's, I'm in the Aspen vortex. Okay. It's it's just completely I may as well be on Mars and you can't email me, you can't it's it's weird. That, Sorry, bro. That sounds nice. That sounds nice. Dude, <laughs> I'm jealous. Uh, you should be jealous. No, no, no. I so when you uh there's this thing on the internet, I think it's called Warnock's dilemma, and basically it means that like if you write something on the internet, like you write a blog post or a tweet and it gets no response. It could mean many different things. It could mean that it was perfect and no one could respond. It could mean it was so bad that they don't want to respond. It could mean that there was some technical glitch and yeah. they never saw it. So silence is uh, is always hard to gauge. I, I have no idea what it meant. You know you're in trouble when, or not in trouble, but you know it's it's either, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I, May 1st, I put up, I couldn't believe it was already May 1st. And I said something to the effect, is it really already fucking made like something like that yeah and, and the amount of retweets and likes was way more i mean i could have said i just cured cancer yeah it saying i can't believe it's may 1st was people are weird was that from the justin timberlake meme oh i don't know did i no i don't know yeah there was a big meme on may 1st about justin timberlake you don't remember this no oh because you know there's that uh insync song where he says it's gonna be may you know <laughs> And so it was a huge thing. I didn't know that. <laughs> this is news to me. I'm not, I'm not cool enough to be keeping up with JT. Let's talk about stoicism. I, I'm embarrassed to say, and, and but it's true. I had to look it up. I don't know what. And I, and I looked it up, and I still don't understand it. What don't you understand? What it, what, what's a stoic? What is stoicism? I mean, it, when I, you know, this ancient, the, the tenets, the stoics provided a unified account of the world consisting of formal logic. See, this is why physics. people. This it's, is why people don't like philosophy because that is what they see when they find it. Um, yeah, yeah. I say, um, 
I say, so first off, when people hear the word philosophy, they have this immediate negative connotation. Right. And then when they hear the word stoic, they also think like no emotions, right? Because that's, that's what, what I means. that's what I think. That's, that's not what, what it came is. To mind. That's not what it is at all. Um, so it's it is an ancient philosophy, um, but it's a what you would call a practical philosophy. Mm -hmm. It's like um, it basically what the Stoics would say. My definition of it is the Stoics hold that um, we don't control the world around us; we control how we respond. So it's a, it's. I'm it, down with that. That's that's all they're I, really saying. Okay. Um, I mean, they say lots of other things, but it's basically a, and then all the philosophy is exercises and ways of thinking that help you with your response. So like Epictetus, he's he's one of the famous Stoic philosophers. He's a slave um, in in ancient Rome, okay. and he he says that the first most important task uh, for the philosopher is to distinguish what things are in your control and what things are not in your control. Right. That's it, right? So that's the first thing. And then the second most famous Stoic is probably Marcus Aurelius. It's the emperor of Rome. So you have like this slave on the one hand uh, practicing the philosophy, and then in a generation, it's made it's all the way up to the most powerful man in the world. Hmm. And he's writing in this journal every night trying to, you know, there's that saying about power corrupting, uh, or absolute power corrupts absolutely. He's like the one exception to that rule because he's he's got this philosophy and he's he's working through the problems that he's facing as the emperor and he's talking to himself about not losing his temper, about treating people fairly, about doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. So it's it's sort of um, it, it it can feel religious at times, but basically it's just a philosophy that's designed around logic and common sense. Uh, to help people be really good at what they do, so it's yeah. and it's not philosophy for like the classroom, but for real life. Like you have a slave, and you have the most powerful man in the world using the same way of living. Right. Okay, I think I got that. So all like all that stuff is interesting, and yep. we we could talk about it, but I think it's in some ways irrelevant. What 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 it really is is like aphorisms and uh, reminders about how to. How to do stuff, and yep. and in in not in not in the not in the academic sense, but I'll, like I'll give you an example. So another prominent Stoic is this guy Seneca, and Seneca was Nero's tutor. So Nero is maybe the uh, Nero would be like if you put Trump and Nero next to each other, you'd be like Trump's really reasonable, you know? Like Nero's insane. And, I was just gonna say this Nero guy sounds batshit crazy. Yeah, and so 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 he. As a at, when Nero's a young man, Seneca gets assigned to be his tutor, so he has no choice in the matter. He's just like, "This is your student." By the by, Nero's mother, he's like, "You got to take care of this kid, raise him right, you know, teach him things." So he gets attached to this kid, who then goes on to become emperor, and then he has to show up for work every day yeah. to try to make a a crazy person be a little less crazy. Um, and that's what the so so it's like if you can imagine the people who work in Trump's cabinet right now the difficult choices that they have to make right like they have their own career to think about they have their own families they have their own ambitions and and they're also trying to do the right thing at the same time so it's it's designed for reality which is really fucking complicated right. so if you really follow somebody on Twitter you know and you want to know every time they tweet you can get the notifications yeah. right they'll push them out to you yeah Imagine, and obviously his staff and cabinet, and they get the note of, if, if that pops up on the phone, they must just go, oh no. Exactly. What, what am I going to open and have to read? Or what yeah. is he going to say? 
Yeah, like imagine you're let's n- not picking a side, but these tweets, the president of the United States cannot tweet like that. Right. Like if you think about Sean Spicer, like you cannot like him and you could think that he's a horrible person. But imagine actually having to do that job. Mm. That would be incredibly difficult. I mean, like yeah. you you're the one who has to call up like the British ambassador and be like, Okay, I know that Trump just uh accused you guys of spying on him. But he doesn't mean that he just watched something on Fox and Friends, and that's what like that would be really difficult. And the, yeah. and life, life is like that. Yeah. So I'm not a stoic. Uh, in a sense, I get a little bit of it, maybe. I would say that there's there's a certain amount of uh, stoicism in any endurance athlete. You have to be yeah. because the uh, what a lot of stoicism is is about overriding the first thoughts of your brain. You know what I mean? Like the, I can't do this. I should quit. Uh, this is really hard. Right. You know that a, a lot of it is just like, here's what my mind is telling me. And then the stoic is sort of, let's stop and think about this. Mm. Like, is it actually true? Mm. And that's why I think the books have become popular in sports. Mm. Yeah. You have a big following in the sports world. You know, these coaches reach out to you, but, but that was obstacle. Is the obstacles, the way is the one that, that Pete Carroll called about and, and, I think, right? Or yeah, yeah. Uh, Nick Saban read it and he liked it. Um, Who's that? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> wow, I didn't know. I didn't know Saban was a fan. Yeah, I spoke at University of Alabama. Uh, he he sat in the front row and took notes while I talked. Really? It was incredibly intimidating. Huh. Uh, He's a pretty simple, plain-spoken guy. Apparently, like he doesn't have a lot to say, from what I've heard. I think he. I think he. One of the 48 laws of power is always say less than necessary. Yeah. I think he sees that there's power in you know, why, being why, a few why didn't Where the fuck were you 15 years ago? Wow. I just opened my mouth and a whole bunch of bullshit came out. Um, there's my, a, actually, there's a, there's a stoic quote. Uh, it's better to trip with your feet than with your tongue. Yeah, right. No shit. Hey, uh, my son applied to... University of Alabama. Really? Yeah, we went and we went and did a visit and got this great tour and met the president of the university, who's a Texan, by the way, and he applied. He loved it. And I love as a it parent. It was super I love, pretty school. Oh, the campus is great, and and you know it's all there. Like it's when I think of a college campus, I think of the University of Texas. Yeah, where it kind of blends in with the city, and it feels like NYU. Whereas this, you, you are on campus. There's no you know office building in the middle of you know it's it's right there. No, it was amazing. I, I wish it. I went there. Yeah. Yeah, he may go. Talk to me. And, and I'm so interested because this whole idea of trust me, I'm lying. Just And I'm sure the listener's thinking, wait a minute, what did he just say? Yeah. Um, so I wrote it. My first book uh, was not about philosophy. It was about basically the opposite of philosophy. Right. It was about... That was your very first book. First book. But let me... I'm sorry. One, one other question about stoicism. Because you're talking about it like you've spent your whole life yeah. thinking about it or studying it or being obsessed with it and knowing it. Yeah. Do you talk, Would if you hadn't written the book, would you know all that about it? Or do you yeah. learn all that uh, that about it because you researched the book? No, that's a weird thing. So, so, so like, uh, n- since the books have been successful, people are like, oh, you just wrote this to make money or something. Mm. Like, um, like, any reasonable person would have been like, you know where the money is? ancient philosophy yeah you know what i mean like right. it's just not how it works like i remember when i was at my publisher so my first book came out and it was successful it was this marketing sort of media book 
And then I was like, what I really want to write about next is this ancient philosophy. Yeah. And they were like, I don't, that, that doesn't sound like a good idea. Right. They gave me a lot less money for that book. Um, no, so do you know who introduced me to Stoicism? Did I tell you this story? Nope, you didn't tell me the story. Uh, Dr. Drew. Dr. Drew. Dr. Drew. Not Dr. Dre, Dr. Drew. Dr. Drew. Dr. Drew, he's an old friend of mine. Yeah, he's uh, the best. He's a great guy. He is. Great guy. He's like my hero. Uh, I am. I, I met him when I was in college. I I was, I wrote for this college newspaper and I got invited to this conference. Because you grew up in LA, so he's, yeah, he's right. Yeah, I grew up in Northern California, but I. Well, you were going to, to school at Rivers yeah, Riverside. Yeah, and I would listen to Loveline like every night. And so uh, I got invited to this like conference and he was, it was like, 10 college kids and him it was sponsored by trojan condoms and uh, and, uh <laughs> okay and then afterwards i was like hey like you know i'm like 19 or whatever what what book should i read and he was like i'm reading this book by this philosopher named epictetus i think you would like it and i read it and it totally changed my the course of my life um hmm. so it was the it, i was interested in it before anything and then i had this track as as a marketer and sort of doing internet stuff. I was the director of marketing in American Apparel. We're gonna get to that, but but yeah. So so the stoicism thing is like the second chapter of my life. Not that and the sto. Uh, sorry, the writing about stoicism comes in the second chapter. But yeah. it was the thing that I was into before. It was what I always w was interested in and yeah. fascinated by. Yeah. So just this chant random thing, you know, you ask someone for a, a recommendation and you never know what happens. Yeah. You know, you mentioned American Apparel. So for the listener at home, I, I, almost everybody knows what American Apparel is, probably in large part due to you. Um, but the meltdown that, that ensued there with the founder, Dove Charney, is almost hard to watch and hard to believe. It was pretty insane. I mean, working there must have been, and you never, look, me especially, I read stuff, and you've, we've talked a lot about Dove, um, and I've read a lot of the articles, because I'd love to have this kind of conversation with him, but- You should. I should, and but it's just like, it can't, it can't be this crazy, and then I watched some, recently, I watched some interview where he's, I mean, I think he might be that crazy. Well, I think one of the problems with our media culture is that we- we try to make people all one thing or all another thing, mm -hmm. even though we know ourselves have like different parts sure. of ourselves. I, I, I get it. And I think there's an element of that. It's, it's like, uh, he's incredibly brilliant and creative or he wouldn't have been able to make all these things. Mm -hmm. And then he has a destructive side to him. And I think for a long time, one very outweighed the other. Or, one always outweighed the other, but the damage from one piled up to a point where it. But, I mean, come on, who, and this is, this did happen because she wrote about it. I mean, who, in the middle of an interview, asked the journalist if it's okay if he masturbates in front of her? Yes. Who, that is, bro, that is some weird shit right there. I mean, nobody listening will think, oh, yeah, of course. No, I mean, I certainly don't think. Oh, yeah, of course. And this that that happened. Uh, that that happened before. It happened twice to the same girl before my time. Okay. Um, and I, I so I won't and I won't speak for him because if you have him on, you should ask him about this. Yep. Because he has a 
he has a reason. Like there, there's backstory to it uh, that I heard many times. But I remember. Well, what's the backstory? I don't think I can say. Uh, I, I don't. Oh. I, you know what? I will say. <laughs> I believe. I believe what the backstory was was that there was a. He would say that there was a mutual relationship between them during the writing of the story. A mutual or a sexual. A mutual sexual relationship between the two of them during the writing of the story is what he claimed. Mm. So, the article that she wrote that I read did, did, was did, very one sided. It sure didn't seem that so way. So he was he was upset about that. Gotcha. But I remember saying, first off, you can't tell people this like five years after it happened and mm -hmm. rewrite what happened. And second, it was still a bad idea. That's for sure to be in a mutual sexual relationship with a reporter who's doing a story mm. in your company. Hmm. So it's, um, it, it's, I think it's one of those things where it's like the real story is much more complicated than people think, but it's not really any better. No. So that's the but It's problem. still weird. It's st right. It's right. weird. Yes. I'd love to, I'll, 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 we'll get him, we'll get him on here. You know, and, and I he would, and this is actually what I was telling you about the book, and why, I relate to him. In a, in a, that's what aside I was aside from beating off in front of the journalist. I, I that's relate, hard to relate to. Yeah, that's hard to relate to, but I relate to him building a company, mm -hmm. growing it globally, completely kicking ass, and then you know, net net being asked to leave or being forced to leave. I I relate to that. And and actually, this is a good. This is this goes back to your question of is it different if it's self inflicted or not, mm. right? So, at the end of the day, it's the same thing. You're both asked to leave different organizations or companies. Um, I would say his his was also very self inflicted, yeah. um, and I would actually say there was less kicking ass towards the end of it. Um, right. It was it was as much a financial. Uh, Re inevitability a Wall than Street anything move. else. It was a Wall Street. Yeah, yeah, which at the end of the day, you know, as a, as a CEO of a publicly traded company, is part of the job. It's like yeah. if you're an athlete and you're not winning, sorry. Um, and so I, I think, but at the end of the day, very few people, only someone who's gone through something like that, can relate to it, and the details don't matter that much. Yep. And so I think there's a, I, I think that story isn't told often enough because most stories are about the way they're about the way up right yeah. and very few people talk about failure they talk about difficulty they talk about getting your ass kicked being embarrassed you know all these things and so i th i think you guys would you would like each other and then also like each other yeah just in the terms of having a conversation okay. he's also a very charismatic god that interview i watched i was person. like man this guy is crazy he like got up and stormed out and was was nuts he's got all these post-its all over his wall and i'm like dude yeah yeah but th th that and that and that show is much more like i met dove when i was 20 mm. and so my reaction to seeing that at 30 verse 20 is totally different at mm. 20 you're like wow this is cool you know what i mean like this isn't, no one is like this. And at 30, you're like, wait, this isn't how normal people act. Mm -hmm. But um, I think you guys would have a good conversation because there would be no, no sense that you would be trying to get him in the way that a normal journalist might right. be. 
And I, try, I, think, I try not to. And I think that's what's great about the podcast is that you can have conversations with people about sensitive things that they wouldn't talk to, I don't know, Barbara Walters about right, or something. Right. Yeah. Can he come back? Well, he's trying He's to. trying to come back. Can't, he's but trying you, to. You know him as well as anybody on uh, in the world. I mean, can he? I think the fundamental problem from what I know, and I, I think an essential element of coming back is understanding what you did wrong and where you were to blame and accepting responsibility gotcha. for it. And the narrative that the company was stolen from him and that he was wronged in some way is, in my opinion, completely inaccurate and totally delusional. Yep. So I think he start, from what I understand, he's starting a new company, but it's with a lot of the same people doing the same things. And people are asking him questions and he, you know, like I, I read some story about it last week. It's like this thing that I can't even close. I wish I could never think about it ever again. Um, like, you know what I mean? Like, it was. Yeah. I wish I. I wish it wasn't this part of me. But I was still reading this article, and uh, you know, they were, the reporter was like, "And are you still going to have relationships with employees?" And he was like, "That's none of your business." It's like uh, the the number one lesson you should have learned from what happened is that the answer to that question is no. You know what I mean? Like the answer to that question is no. Wait, the answer to the the not. answer is don't have a relationship with the employees, or the answer, or the answer is say no, or both. I don't even care. Yes, obviously the answer is don't have relationships with your employees. It's a bad idea. It costs you millions of dollars in lawsuits gotcha. and all these things. Yeah. But also, just from a media perspective, the answer is purely from an amoral media perspective. Yeah. The answer is no. Gotcha. Yeah. Reminds me a little of, of Chip Wilson, the guy who started Lululemon. Yes. So he starts this company. He's he's the founder. He's the brand. He's the the vision. He's the passion, and builds like American Apparel builds this huge business, um, and is forced out. Yeah. It's it's like Travis Clinic. We we you and I talk a lot about Uber and Travis Clinic, and it's the same. Although a, my sense is Travis is still involved, but these stories. You know, I guess we end up talking a lot about these stories because we end up talking a lot about my life. Um, but you know, it's just it's fascinating to watch these guys build something so successful and so influential, right? Something like Uber that changed that changed the not totally didn't changed, cure cancer, but it changed, changed the, world. the yeah. world. And then um, it, it's just it's amazing to see these people meltdown. Well, I think it. I don't know why people don't understand it, but they, I, you see it with Trump where they go like, why can't he just not tweet? Or why can't he just, now that he's president, why can't he just be different? And it's because very rarely are these conscious parts of the people, they're like mm. fundamentally who they are. And until they experience like real consequences for them, they can't change. Yeah. That would be a good book to write. What? Oh, yes. Wouldn't that, but that would be, what do you think, Hicks? That'd be a good book. I don't know. We'll, we'll ask the listeners. Listeners, would, would you read that book? You can, you can email in the answer. Um, who's, so who's crazier, Tucker Max or Dove Charney? We got to talk about this Tucker Max okay. guy. I mean, I can't, the, and for the listener, we should probably go back because it's been a while since you guys pulled this stunt and you made him. I've worked for some you, crazy You made people, him yeah. one of them. <laughs> And now you're hanging with me. Yeah. Oh, fuck. What's wrong with you? I know. <laughs> um, uh, so this Tucker Max guy, he writes a book. Yeah. He wrote a book called, they well, he had a website. Yep. Um, Started as a website, a blog. Yeah, a blog that was one of the 
sort of first really early popular blogs. Uh, and then he created a book about it that came out and did well. And I met him sort of right after the book came out. The book was? Called I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell. And they're sort of like, um, I, I sort of say it's like Hunter S. Thompson meets Jackass. It's like a lot of alcohol, crazy things you shouldn't be doing, stories about drinking and hooking up. Um, and it was, it was like one of the first internet bestsellers, if not the, the first. Hmm. Um, so it's like blog, book, and then it sort of becomes this sensation. And we, we did a, my marketing, marketing was what I started with, and we just did a lot of crazy. But women hate him. I mean, he had all these things about women and, and, and talking well, about girls. And I mean, what's interesting, yeah, it's like he had, I would say feminists didn't like him, but hmm. Lots of women liked him. Like half of his fans were women. Half of the readers were women. But uh, let's say like blogs like Jezebel were not fans. Yeah. Um, and then we leaned into that. Like we started a, they, they, they turned the book into a movie. And um, to promote the movie, we started like a boycott of his work. And then we vandalized the ads for the movie. And it became this huge like national You've story. You made it all up. Yeah. It's real in the sense that people actually were mad. Right. But the timing of the backlash and the impetus for it was completely manufactured. I mean, I vandalized the billboards and then took pictures of them and sent them to blogs. And then other people started doing it all right. over the country. And you started the, the, the fire. Yeah. Yeah. We did. In, we got his ads banned by the Chicago Transit Authority. Like they were running on all the trains and buses. And then they banned them, and then they gave us our money back. It was like the best thing that could have possibly happened. You're evil. Uh, I, I, I think at that age, I saw it as a fun game. Mm. Um, you know, in retrospect, maybe I'm a little more uh, empathetic as to what it sure. means. Yeah. And, and in, the, in the same whole period of your life, you... you, you cook up this idea to get Planned Parenthood to name a clinic after him. Well, yeah. After we, Tucker Max. We, he had a, he had a, I guess it would, it was the sequel uh, for, I hope to serve beer in hell, or maybe it was, maybe it was the third book in the series. I forget, but yeah, there's a, um, <laughs> there, there, what we, what we tried to do is uh, buy the naming rights to a Planned Parenthood clinic to, to name it after him. Um, the Tucker Max Planned, Planned Parenthood, Parenthood Clinic. Clinic. Wow. Yeah. And I think I got the idea because though there's one right up the street that's like closed mm -hmm. uh, on is it Chacon and 7th. Mm -hmm. um, and so I remember I, I, I was visiting Tucker and Austin and I drove by and I saw it and I thought like, oh, that's close. And then I thought, you know, what, what could the naming rights to one of these things possibly cost? It can't be that much, right? right? And so... Um, so we, you call up Cecile Richards? I don't know who, who he, runs Planned Parenthood. I don't or? know who I don't know uh, who he called. I think we ended up working with the Dallas office, uh, and the the naming rights were like two hundred fifty thousand. And so we thought if this if this actually happened, it would be worth way more than two hundred fifty thousand mm. dollars. And you know, it's not like it's go like obviously I guess depending on your political beliefs, but it's not like it's going to a bad cause, right? You're not naming. Uh, it's not the Tucker Max neo-Nazi clinic or something, right. right? It's a good cause. So the idea was, could we do this thing? Um, and what kind of statement would it be making? Um, and they ended up, 
the talks went pretty far. And then I think at some point, uh, like either a lawyer, or, you know, some public relations person intervened from the, from their side, from their side yeah, and was yeah. like, absolutely not under, you know, no. The lawyer's like, do you know who this guy is? Yeah. Have you read the shit that he writes and says? I right. Mean, right. And then they, they, the, <laughs> the reason they gave us was that there was a joke in one of his books that made fun of fat people. Hmm. That was what they said, the, the final straw. So they ended up saying, we want, not only did they say, like, wh I think where they went wrong, if I'm thinking about it from a public relations standpoint, where they went wrong is they, they didn't go, we'd be happy to take your donation, but for obvious reasons, your name can't be on the building. Right. Let's come up with some sort of solution. Instead, they did what I think people don't realize is sadly too common in the nonprofit space, all they cared about was image, not actually helping. So they just said, like... I can't imagine. I have no idea what you're talking about. Right, right. So they just they just said, um, like, go away, yeah. you know? Um, and, then, and then what I remember... And then PETA... So this all broke, <laughs> and it was like a bunch of uh, a big news. And then PETA was like, we'll take the money. Um, we'll we'll, it's, it'll be like the Tucker Max... Uh, Spain neuter clinic or something and then uh, 250 grand also yeah and so he was like uh, never would i ever give money to PETA. and then i think he ended up giving the money or giving some significant donation to austin pets alive he did and now there's like a a tucker max obedience school for dogs and he still lives here he does still live here yeah so it was uh it, it was uh it ended up being one of the more absurd marketing things i've ever done it got a obviously just incredible amounts of attention yeah and it ended up obviously costing no money as well and i mean the range i'm mean, here we're talking look we started 15 minutes ago we're, we're talking about stoicism and all these this shit that i have no idea you're talking about and yeah and these names and these greeks and these romans and and you know this highly intelligent conversation and now we're talking about vandalizing billboards and 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 uh, naming a Planned Parenthood clinic. It's, dude, the range you have is... Well, that's actually what I mean. I think people are complicated. I, I, I said in my first book that I was disintegrated, like D-I-S dash integrated. Like I was not... Oh, not disintegrated. Yeah, because there is no actual <laughs> word. If you put it together, it becomes disintegrated. Right. But I was actually just not integrated. Like yeah. I was two different people. Or it was like, on the one hand, I was doing these things professionally, and I was getting very good at them, and not really thinking about what they meant. And on the other hand, I'm interested in all these deeper, bigger things. Right. And, um, you know, they weren't connecting. I mean, I, I imagine you can relate to the idea of right. being known for one thing, and being another, and being seen one way. And right. knowing okay. other things. I got things. it. I got it. Yeah. And then in the middle of all this, you've got work or i don't you call it ghostwriting or help or we with people like tim ferris and tony robbins and yeah yeah i, I mean, started some a, a, seriously influential uh successful people yeah and and i don't i i would have to look at dates i don't know exactly where each one comes and goes but yeah i started a company called brass check that right. works with authors. i didn't i didn't know that till today i was i was oh yeah i read your bio online and, I, and it and it clicked me through to brass check i, I didn't yeah the, those are the people that i worked with so yeah i've worked with uh, yeah, you always refer to oh, my people in the office of that's the, I didn't know I didn't know any of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so worked with tons of different authors, companies, brands. Dude, right Tony there. Robbins, what a 
what a transformation. Like I always, when I think, and I've, I've actually spoken at, at some of his events and it's, I don't know if he still does those things, but when I think of Tony Robbins, I think of like, you know, it's almost like a religious thing and people are falling down in the aisles and they're walking through hot coals and they're, it's, it's a little odd. Yeah. And now, you know, I was walking through the airport a few months ago. He's on the cover of Forbes, you know, the most sought after CEO coach in America. Oh, I mean, it's like that, those are two different people. Yeah, what? Well, yeah, it's like, you know, he started many, many years ago doing like infomercials and yeah. tapes and stuff. Yeah. And and then he built this huge life coaching business, which is now an industry that, you know, billions of dollars a year are spent on life coaches and products and stuff like that. And he's sort of the one who invented that yeah. as a thing. And then I think he, so I worked on his book, Money. Uh, I did the, the hard By cover. the way, he's got hella money. He got a lot of he money. He does have a lot of money. Uh, I did... I did the hardcover and the paperback marketing for them. And, you know, like 20 years separate his, that book and his previous book. Yeah. And I think, I think what he really did, he waited a long time and he did a lot of work and he sort of, he, he, on the one hand, he's out obviously helping lots of people and doing what he did. But then I think he really, this sort of image shift towards a, a different part of the market doing different things i think he just did an incredible job at it yeah. i mean um he could have put out 20 books in those 20 sure. years but instead he waited and then he picked this topic i mean he wrote about money which obviously he knows a lot about and he did a lot of research and he interviewed all these billionaires and millionaires and stuff but he could have written about diet you know he could have written yeah. about anything but he chose this thing for his sort of re-emergence mm. and work no he totally rebranded re himself yeah so at least it seems to me i'm Which, sure he still does the you know the oh he does the things Definitely in arenas does. and he gets people buying all the trinkets and did you watch the documentary no you should watch it's called i'm not a not your guru it was done by the same guy that did did you see some kind of monster no. metallica documentary dude the one where they talk about they show the therapy and everything yes yes yes. it's done by the same guy that did that documentary well the listeners the regular listeners of this show know that i'm obsessed with in fact i'm flying tomorrow so i'm going to download both of those i love documentaries so he yeah. says his documentary is i'm not your guru it's called i'm not your guru it's not it's not his documentary because it's about him right. but uh i don't he, think he made it but he participates very, very, yes it's hmm. about him but it's uh it's very very good and the metallica documentary so good really i hear so good reviews about that i think it's the best music documentary of all time bro Number two would be Spinal Tap. The Last Waltz? I haven't seen that. That's like the, was the original music documentary and still it's, it was one of Scorsese's early projects. It's it's about the band. Yeah, yeah. And it's amazing. Okay. I'll watch that. And, and I'll watch that. You watch Some Kind of Monster. I will. I will. I, I, but it's, The Last Waltz, it, it's interesting because we love music and we love documentaries, but the way they, you know, now if they show a music documentary, when the band performs, you can't, these days you would never show them playing a five minute song, the whole five minute song. Right. You'd show 30 seconds of it or the right. highlights of it or the chorus. Or, there they show, it's like a concert and a doc, you, you have to kind of watch oh, it sweet. all. But it shows you how that style has changed over the years. I mean, it, some kind of monster is really, really good. And it's better because it's about maybe one of the worst major albums of all time. 
Metallica. The, yeah. yeah, it's about it's about Saint Anger, which is maybe like the worst. It's terrible. Heavy metal album yeah. of all time. I love Metallica. Me too. I'm not. I'm writing these down because I'll forget. They're both on Netflix, I think. I can't. I can't do. I have to do it on iTunes because I. You can't. I, on my computer, this is a real problem, and that's the reason I'm gonna. Are you gonna ask it. me to fix your computer? No. Okay. No. Okay. I just. I just. This my Apple Ninja fixed it the other day, but uh, with I, I when I sit in the plane, you can't download something off Netflix onto your computer. You can do it on your phone or your iPad, but not onto oh, your computer. So I. Okay. If it's not on iTunes, it's not happening. But they, they'll, they'll, they'll be sure on they iTunes. Are. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about Iron Maiden. I mean, let's get, and I get, you know, I talk, I've been doing this Tour de France podcast and I, I, I mentioned Maiden that I was emailing with the tour manager about you and I going to the show in Salt Lake City and then I realized, oh my God, I have to do this podcast every morning. Like, I can't be in Salt Lake City that day. What was right. I thinking? I just forgot. And so somebody wrote in, I was like, I can't believe you're a fan of Iron Maiden. Like, but I love Maiden. I that it's this weird secret army of if you think about the fact they've sold like 90 million albums right. they read, must have tons of fans out there but you just never there's never a chance for that to be revealed right i read the article you wrote um well here's the headline this and these are some everything i learned about writing i learned from iron maiden that you wrote on observer.com and there's a picture of you with the iron maiden t-shirt oh you even got a little onesie for your kid That's yeah cute. yeah yeah but the numbers are staggering. The amount of records, 16 studio albums, 2,000 concerts in 59 countries, 90 million albums sold, five number ones, 42 singles, 15 combined. I mean, it's like, but nobody... nobody well, it's because they're never on the radio, so it's it. like it didn't happen. Dude, I love that. And I love their music. Up the irons. I know. And I'm not going to see them on this tour. It was, it was a very good show. It was a very good show. I was, I was very excited. I, so in that article, I, I wrote that I'd seen them three times. One other stat, just before we go. Their top five songs on Spotify have over 230 million streams. That's more than Prince, and that's more than Madonna. I mean, yeah. think about that. It's amazing, right? Love it. Uh, and so a bunch you, of people got mad. They were like, oh, you've only seen them three times. Like, Maiden fans were, were saying that. I'm not I'm surprised you. Fan. I'm surprised you admitted that. I really don't like uh, concerts that much. And I'm... I'm I like don't like large crowds of people, so right. that I've seen them three times is a is actually that's why you needed to go with me. Yeah, it would have been very cool. We'd have been at the soundboard. That would just have been chilling. A... Well, now now they have to go on another tour. They will. They will. Lady Gaga said uh, when people ask her if you want to be the next Madonna, because that's the most obvious right person you would say. She says, "Nope, I'm the next Iron Maiden." Lady Gaga, so cool, so dope. I think Bruce Dickinson is maybe the coolest person in music. So when people ask me, you know, it, who I want to talk to on this podcast, Bruce Dickinson is 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 it, my top five, and I'm I don't know that I'll have five off the top of my head. Bruce Dickinson, the lead singer of Iron Maiden, who still to this day sounds exactly the same and runs around like he's twenty, unreal. Uh, Neil Pert, the oh, drummer yeah. for Rush, yes. I would, and who doesn't talk to anybody. Right. Like if I could get that, he lives in my, I'd start walking today. Uh, I'd love to talk to Ed Snowden. Yeah. And part of me wants to talk to Alex Jones and just be like, what the fuck is your problem? <laughs> uh, but then I saw uh, all the backlash that NBC and and, right. and what's-her-name got for doing it. I was like, yeah, maybe we won't have Alex on. Right. I know some people that know him. You must know him. Rogan, my, Joe, my buddy yeah. Joe Rogan knows him very well. I, I texted Rogan the other day, and I said, when this was all blowing up, 
I said, come on, Joe. I said, this, this fucker is not, surely this is an act. You cannot say or think or do those things. You can't say that, that, that I mean, 9-11 is a conspiracy and, and Sandy Hook. I mean, you cannot believe that. You don't think there's real crazy people? <laughs> Dude, your hesitation there really started to scare me. I thought you were going to say, well, no. I can see why. I, oh, I no, 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 no. no I, know, I know there are crazy people, but that's, so, that's a game. On the Bruce Dickinson front, I meant to tell you this. He has a book coming out. He has an, an autobiography coming out like next year. I just saw this online. Hmm. So maybe that's your way in. That's my way in. He could, he'll, maybe he'll be promoting things. I'd, I'd fly to London or where the hell he lives. And maybe he could fly to you. Fly a 757 over here? Yeah, yeah. You saw that documentary. Flight, I did. Flight 666. A great documentary. Dude. The we, Rush we, one is also very good. There's uh, a Rush documentary. Of, for, of course. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. No. Rush, I love Rush. No, but I mean, just the idea, like what I... What I love about Bruce Dickinson is that he's not just good at one thing. You know what I mean? He's like a great he, fencer. He's yeah. He he, he almost he's made a, the British Olympic he's a team. He's a top level fencer. He's a pilot. Yeah, he's a pilot. He he wrote uh, in the eighties. He wrote like a children, like a young adults novel that was like a Didn't huge bestseller. Hmm. Uh, I'm forgetting what it's called. I haven't read it. Um, but uh, he has like a radio show. It. He, I just love the idea that like. You know, everyone tends to either be so specialized or one-sided. I just love, like, I, you know, I, through you, I met Bo Jackson. It's like right. when someone does something where they're excellent at two things that millions of people can't even be good at one thing, you know, right. at, are trying their hardest to be good at that one thing. It's just so humbling and cool. It just makes you realize that things are, like, way harder and way easier than you think. Yeah. Yeah. They're freaks. Yeah, they're freaks, but then also, they, I think there's part of it that's just like, I mean, how many other really great singers probably could be pilots, but just never thought, yeah. you know, no one, no one ever took it that far. Like, I mean, I thought he actually flew for a little. Didn't no, he, he fly flies for, for British Airways he, or, or Ryanair. One, of, I thought was it British Airways. I think it's British Airways. Like he, he that's sometimes so fl like he gets paid to fly, and so, so that's like, that's. That's not any harder than learning to fly. He just mm. took it that far. Yeah. You know what I mean? He just right. took it that far. He's actually flying other human beings around. That's, yeah. Think about that. That's like, can you just imagine you get, you, you, you're at Heathrow, like you have some connection, you, you fly, cause there's an Austin Heathrow yeah. flight, you land in Heathrow, you're getting your connection, and then, and then Bruce, Di right. Bruce Dickinson comes on, <laughs> comes when, on the intercom. When you went, I've seen Maiden a couple times, and this, it's been, a few years since the last time, but I remember when I saw him as a young kid, they always had um, all all the, not protesters, but they had the religious people outside with the crosses really? and, you know, because the yeah, whole, that was their the thing. whole shtick yeah. is 666 and, you know, and, it, but uh, having said that, you know, when I went to my first concert, Van Halen in 1984 at uh, Reunion Arena in Dallas, they were outside of there too, you know, so the, yeah. were they down? There was, I didn't see any of okay. that. Yeah, um, I'm surprised. They did do... Uh, you know, they try to... Con you're walking in, yeah, they right. can yell at you, convert you, hand you pamphlets, stand no, there, there was with the big cross. Yeah. It was... They had... You know, they have the Eddie that walks around the stage. Yeah. And in this one... Eddie's their mascot for the... for. There's a yes. lot of people listening going... They might not know... I've never even heard of Iron Maiden. Yeah, right. And if I've heard of them, it sounds awful. Do you remember the first Iron Eddie's Maiden the, song you listened to? Nope. Do you remember nope. how you found out about them? 
Well, when growing up in Plano, I was just a little white trash kid. I mean, we, that's what we listened to. I mean, we listened to metal. Yeah. And and it was and it, you know, Maiden is legit, right? They're yeah. still they've stood the test of time. But Quiet Riot didn't. Right. And Dokken didn't. And uh, White Snake didn't. These are all bands. And even Van Halen didn't. Uh, sort of, but sort yeah. of. But, yeah. you know, they're not they're not still so I grew up in Sacramento, so I know what you're talking Just about. Just right quick. I heard a rumor the other day, and this is if this were to happen, this would be so cool. Is somebody asked Sammy Hagar if there was buzz about a, a Van Halen reunion with Sammy Hagar, and he alluded to the fact that he would not do it unless it was a complete reunion. So they, they Sammy Hagar and David Lee Roth come back. Oh. Yeah, think about that. And, and also, too, he said, which I love Sammy Hagar for this because I love Michael Anthony, and I think they treated him like shit. He said he wouldn't do it if they didn't bring Michael Anthony. See, that's which for Eddie Van Halen, he's got his son Wolfgang playing the bass. I mean, he can't. He's stuck. Yeah, but just imagine if it happened. But see, that's what happened in Iron Maiden too. So Bruce Dickinson and Adrian Smith leave in like what is it like uh, ninety five, ninety six, or whatever, and they bring in a new guitar. When actually, when did they leave? I'm, I'm probably getting the dates wrong. They leave, and then when Bruce Dickinson comes back. In like 2000, the, the guitarist who'd been in the band, Janet Gers, had been in the band so long that when Adrian Smith Longer wanted to come Adrian, back, yeah. too, when Adrian Smith wanted to come back, they were like, well, you can just both be in the band. So now they have three guitarists. So it's just so amazing to me. Yeah. Like, and now I actually like all the new stuff because there's three guitars on it. Yeah. I, I think. I think their new stuff is actually surprisingly oh, you, you, good. You wrote about it in this article on on The Observer. I was surprised to hear you say it. The old stuff is just... I listened on the way down here. I listened to The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. It's a 13-minute song. I can leave my house, and that song is still on when I get to the studio. That's so great. Right. So I, It, it the, got me here. In the article, I made a mistake. I referenced the instrumental Alexander the Great mm. when I meant Genghis Khan, because Alexander the Great has lyrics. And also many angry emails about this. I wonder how many listeners have just stopped listening because they're like, I'm not listening to Iron Maiden. This is, the, let's go back to stoicism and, yeah, and, sorry. and, and Planned Parenthood. Sorry, and sorry. He flew for, Higgs looked it up. He flew. Okay. Never heard of it. It's defunct. But, but he got the, but the, they, Ed Force One. Ed Force One. So they fly with this, this, and you guys can look this up on the internet. This, they can, they, Painted up a 757 with yeah. the logos. And, and again, we keep talking about something. How much something, would you pay to be on that flight? Buddy, anything. <laughs> I, 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 I would do. That's not a, that's a 747. That's not a 757. Higgs pulled it up. That's, I think it's now a 747. It holy was a 757. shit. That's awesome. Uh. So, oh, you know what I want to talk about? Because I know you're obsessed with this, and I don't know if it's something you're writing about or if it's just your own little obsession, is the Gawker and Hulk Hogan controversy. I am writing about this. You I are, you are going to write about this? Well, we've talked about it a yeah. lot. I just didn't know if it was one what? of your little things you're into or if this is something you're <laughs> going to actually act on. No, no, I, I couldn't talk about it before, but that that is my next book, the one after this. Gotcha. I, I turned in the manuscript uh, a week ago. Right. It's, uh, Dude, you write a lot of books. I write a lot. Your wife but must I, hate I you. I like it. Actually, my, my editor, um, when I sold maybe my third book, my editor sent my wife an email that just said, I'm sorry, I bought a book from Ryan. But I, I like, this is what I do, man. It's like, you spend a lot of time on your bike. 
<laughs> I spent a lot of time writing. It's it's the it's it's uh it's what I would do even if I wasn't getting right. Paid. You enjoy it, and you have a good team. Yeah. Sounds like yeah, yeah. I mean, I have the team to do the other stuff, and I yeah. write the books. And but this thing, I mean, and when we've talked about it, I because you have really three parties. You have Gawker, who mm -hmm. was a an online uh, news outlet, yeah, website. Uh, Right, mm -hmm. I got that right. You have Hulk Hogan, who everybody knows, the, yep. the famous wrestler. But they really have Peter Thiel, mm -hmm. Peter Thiel, Thiel, Peter Thiel, Thiel, who underwrites Hulk Hogan's legal fees so that he can sue Gawker. Yeah, and basically wins and puts them out of money. Uh, puts them, makes it. He wins the case, makes a ton of money, and puts them out of business. Gone, dead, done. Well, that understates his role pretty dramatically. It's not like. It's not like Hulk Hogan was like, I'm going to uh, sue Gawker. And Peter Thiel was like, here's some money. Peter Thiel was uh, written about by Gawker in 2007. Gawker, Gawker wrote an article that, that said... They I outed guess, him. They outed him before he had come out, so they outed him, and he never forgot it. He never forgot it, and he spent... It, it, was, it was his introduction to maybe uh, one of the most vicious, uh, powerful websites in the world. I mean, you've been written mm -hmm. about by Gawker. I, I have. I have. For, for people, for readers, it's this. it was this fun sort of rebellious thing. For anyone who was on the other side of it, it was this monster in a lot mm -hmm. of ways, right? It was like the website that would publish unsubstantiated rumors, that would publish yeah. uh, gossip, that would publish, that, that would would try to take people down that would that, that sort of didn't abide by any of the rules of traditional journalism. Right. And so this was his introduction to them, his rude introduction to them. And then the more he studied it, the more he he's he's a, a big opponent of political correctness. And so it came to sort of embody for him all the problems with political correctness. And um and so he uh he set out to do something about it. And then Hulk Hogan, you know, they wrote about him in 2007. The, the sex tape of Terry Bollea ran which, which, in... Which, by the way, for, is so... We've talked about a lot of weird stuff, but the story is that Hulk Hogan and this guy... Uh, Bubba the Love Sponge. Bubba the Love Sponge, who has a radio show. They're buddies. They're best friends. Best friends. He goes and hangs out, and then the Bubba, Love Sponge Bubba dude... Clem held Hulk Hogan's father's hand as he died. That's how close friends they were. Right. Fast forward to they're hanging out at the house and the sponge guy says, hey, do you want to bang my wife? In, not, not, ex not exactly in those terms, but Bubba and his wife were in an open relationship that, uh. Uh, that included many other men. Um, and uh, Hulk Hogan was one of them. But what none of these men knew yep. was that hidden... In that's a smoke detector right there, right? Yep. Uh, hidden in a smoke detector like that, with a small blinking red light, was a security camera that recorded everything that happened in the bedroom with all the men. Yeah, or just with Hulk Hogan. No, no, with all the men, Jeez. as far as as far as anyone knows. And uh, then one of those tapes was leaked or was stolen and then leaked. And so, so again, Teal's written about in two thousand seven, and. Uh, the tape doesn't run until 2012. So, 
and and the the lawsuit happens four four seven days after the tape runs right so it, it it wasn't as if this thing was happening and peter Thiel jumped on and, and peter Thiel was like here have some money it was much more of a conspiracy than that right it reminds me, and I don't. Maybe it's not as methodical as, and I don't know if this quote is actually. I'm, I keep trying to look it up, but the the basketball arena here in Austin is named after an old Austin legend named Frank Irwin, and so he had this quote once, and you, maybe you know it. Do you know this quote no. about shooting somebody? No. You know, some kids like I'm going to go over there and you know shoot that guy or something. He says, "Nope." He said, "Just just put your gun right there. Keep it in the same place. Just keep your the gun steady. Yeah. Don't move it. Keep your finger on the trigger." They'll walk by, and when they walk by, you pull the trigger. I so, think you just gave me a quote that is going to be in the book, because that's exactly yes. what that's exactly what happened. I mean, he, that's exactly so what Peter happened. Thiel was. He just he just let and then bam, Gawker walked in front of the the scope, and he pulled the trigger. I I I think people the the other problem is people try to get even with people for what they did to them, yeah, like immediately and in the same way. Right, yep. so it's like you can see, uh, like when Roger Ailes, Roger Ailes had beef with Gawker too, and he hired private investigators to follow the reporters around, yep. and he was going to like leak embarrassing information around them, and this was obviously stupid. One because it's uh, like kind of illegal, and you shouldn't do that, and and uh, it's unethical, and also it's so obvious, right? In the sense that it's like, oh you have embarrassing information on me, I'm going to get embarrassing information on you. What Peter looked for was a knockout blow. He said, he was like, you started this, I'm going to finish it. Yeah. And and so look, I'm not saying that he should have done this, I'm not saying that it was right that he did it, that's for every person to decide for themselves. But I am just very interested in the fact that he methodically planned it and did so without being detected for 10 years yeah that's who has that kind of patience and, and discipline and hulk hogan what do you get 140 million bucks 141 million 100 and so he has now 140 no no they end up settling um i think i think he walked away with about 30 okay he probably would like i mean the 30 hitting the bank account was good for him yeah he had to pay back teal i'm assuming the you know the legal bills i don't believe so come on no, that I would have. A, if I'm Peter Thiel, you pay me back, and I, I get a little little skin on the upside. So the 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 contention was that he was doing this for not for financial reasons for mankind. Yeah, in his mind. I mean, he, so when he is finally exposed by the New York Times, he says, "I see this as one of the greatest philanthropic things that I've ever done." Wow. So so does Hulk Hogan. Yes, yes. Yeah. Personally, to, to Hulk Hogan, it was very philanthropic. He's, Peter Thiel has a new bodyguard that's with him all the time. His name is Hulk Hogan. Well, look, it's also interesting. It's not as if Hulk Hogan was the only person who had a problem with Gawker, right? Many other people sure. were treated far worse or maybe even arguably had better cases. But I think one of the things that got missed in what happened and it doesn't seem this way since he won is that hulk hogan was the only one who went all the way mm. he was because look because he could because he had teal's money how many people are, think of the bills nobody people can't take that risk he had nothing to lose 
Well, yeah, and didn't you you sued someone for libel once, right? Yep. And so you know how expensive it is. Yep, and that didn't work out very good. It didn't work out so great for you, if I recall. Yeah. No. But but it's most people are libeled all the time. Sure. Legitimately libeled and have legitimate cases, but very few people can afford to do anything about it, and very few people. Sh- is it in their interest to do something about it? Because you're just dragging that thing right. through yeah. the press. Like, th- there's that thing you don't fight battles with people who buy ink by the barrel. Right. So nobody ever fights the media, and so the media takes that as being a statement about how good they are, when actually it's that they intimidate people. Yep. I got it. Where were you? 15- Did I ask you where were you, where were you 15 years ago? It would have been good, you know, some of these I was things. Fifteen, so. Yeah, uh, yeah, nice. yeah, I was listening to Iron Maiden in my bedroom. Yes. Oh, the irons. I'm going to say it again. All right, let, let's let's be done with this. But, I, but before we go, what are your five your five favorite books of all time, or just like right now, or what do you mean? Uh, no, of all time. Okay. You're if you had to tell me, which who doesn't read books? Yeah. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Are these just in theory, or am I actually recommending you five books? Well, that you to, might the, read? to the you know, these are five books you should read. Uh, so I think Meditations of Marcus Aurelius is maybe the most stupendous work of literature of all time. You have the most powerful man in the world writing notes to himself that he never thought would be public, and they've survived for two thousand years. Hmm. Um, uh, I love this novel, What Makes Sammy Run, by Bud Schulberg. It's about uh, like the character Ari Gold in uh, Entourage. It's like that, but for, it's uh, it's in the twenties. It's uh, that's one of my favorites. Um, I like the Forty Eight Laws of Power. Yep. Uh, Who you you worked on? Or you worked on the Fiftieth Law? I worked on a couple of books with him, uh, but I I just think it's this amazing amazing book. Um, yep. I like. You're now that's three. That's three. You I got like, two more. Uh, I like this biography of. Uh, William Tecumseh Sherman, who's my favorite sort of historical figure, hmm. um, by B.H. Liddell Hart. I think it's called Sherman. Uh, so that's four. Now I got one more. What should I use it on? Oh, we talked about this. Man's Search for Meaning yeah. by Viktor Frankl. Right. I think uh, you have this guy. He spends time in three different concentration camps. Uh, his life's work. He he. His manuscript of his life work is is destroyed. Uh, he loses his parents. He loses his wife. Um, and he writes this amazing book about basically about suffering, a lot of suffering, right? And and And, yeah, he says embracing the suffering. Yeah, he says of the there's like three things that define um, meaning in in human life, and suffering is like arguably the most important one. Um, You won't get an argument argument out of me there. Yeah, you got because you can't. No one has. He says no one has ever lived a life without suffering. Mm. Therefore, suffering must be part of the human experience and must there must be meaning in it right um it's very great <laughs> all right there, there that's go. five well if any of those are audiobooks i might have a chance of course they're all audiobooks they're all audiobooks do you read your audiobooks i do it's exhausting i've recorded that would suck it does if we do a book i'm not reading that i mean you, I, they, I mean i'll read the book maybe <laughs> but i'm not reading for the audiobook what they usually do for important people such as yourself is you read the introduction and then someone else takes over gotcha. from there. I have like McConaughey read it, you know. Yeah, that's also cool. Um, you know, somebody's voice, or maybe, now maybe Morgan Freeman. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's a. Uh, I mean, basically, you're just dead because you can do about fifty pages a day, and then your voice is. It's horrible. And do they make you start over? Like, hey, you, you, you sort of flubbed that one. Can you say it again? Yeah, or they'll go like, you oh, didn't no, read it exactly how on, you wrote it. And you're on. like, I can, I can edit this on the fly. It's mine. I'm out. I don't do that. Uh, but, but what you should do, what you should do is, oh, here should, we go. This is the next hour. What you, Lance should do? No, no. You, you, you could have someone read it, but then you could have extra podcast footage at the end yep. of you talking about things that are in the book. Yeah. So it's like a special experience. You've been listening to my tour podcast at all? No, but I did listen to your Avid Brothers one. Oh, how good was that? Really good. Oh God. I saw them at Red Rocks last uh last weekend, last Sunday night. They played thirty five songs. They played three nights, all sold out three nights in a row. They played hundred and two songs in three nights. They did this I hate Pink Floyd. Yeah. They did a Pink Floyd cover that was so good that back up. Let's establish a couple okay. things. I hate Pink Floyd. Really? Yes. They 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 did a cover that was so good that I now like Pink Floyd. What song? You would ask, wouldn't you? Um and I actually texted I don't know. I mean, I don't know my songs that well. You okay, know, wait, but, so it's, but hold on. So I texted the brothers today and I said, hey, this is a really random question. But is that, did you, has that song ever, did they record it that night? Have you ever recorded it? Because I got to have that song. Right. Wish you were here. Oh, yeah. That's a very good song. And it was so good. It, it was so fucking good. It made me like a band that I hate. But why do you hate Pink Floyd? Because they're annoying. Have you seen Live from I Pompeii? I hate a lot of bands. Have you seen Live from Pompeii? No. Okay. This is me. <laughs> not a concert documentary, not a not a music documentary, but it's a concert film. Mm. They performed a concert to the empty Coliseum at Pompeii in the seventies. Yep, it's fucking like I don't know how they were allowed to do this, why they were allowed to do it. It was the seventies. Yeah, it's like the sun is setting on Pompeii. It's just Pink Floyd standing in the middle of a Roman Coliseum, like where they would used to do gladiatorial games yep. no audience and they just are performing their music it's just amazing i don't know why other bands haven't tried to recreate it but it's my favorite concert documentary <laughs> or concert film got it other than maybe rock and rio the iron maiden one <laughs> just we, to, let's just, just talk more about back. my iron maiden we should yeah no we should but dude thanks for doing this thanks for having me and for the listener check it okay this book is out now Perennial Seller, The Art of Making and Marketing. Why can't I not read that? The Art of Making and Marketing Work That Lasts? Yeah. Okay. You read it. Ryan Holiday, best-selling author. Check it out. Thanks for tuning in to the Forward Podcast. Like, uh, like I said at the top of the show, if you have anything you want to say, if you have a suggestion, please. God knows I need suggestions. Um, or questions, or concerns, or criticisms, or whatever. Let me know. Send me an email. Send it to theforwardpodcast at wedosport.com. I know it's long. I know it's a little confusing. Theforwardpodcast at wedo, W-E-D-U, sport, singular, Dot com, the forward podcast at we do sport.com. 